listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Anna. And I'm Jeff. We are broadcasting at 93.5 FM in Nelson. And this week we're interviewing Dorji Dolma of the book Yak Girl. If you'll remember last week, we interviewed David Swain of the Altitude Project, and he'll be bringing Dorji into Nelson for a book tour. So we enjoyed talking to her. So that'll be playing in the second part of the show, but for the first 45 minutes, as always, we're going to play Musica. And we're going to start the show out with Tim Minchin playing The Fence. And listen carefully to the lyrics of this song. So you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio and on the World Wide Web. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And today we are talking to Dorji Dolma of the Upper Dolpo region of Nepal. Hi, Dorji. Hi, Anna and Jeff. Hi, Dorji. So Dorji has written a book called Yak Girl about growing up in Nepal. And she will be coming to the Nelson area partly to assist David Swain with a fundraiser for the... um, Altitude Project, but we wanted to touch base with Dorji and hear some of her stories about what it was like to grow up in this remote region and uh, and what she's hoping to accomplish with the money they raise. So, Dorji, could you just uh, give us a little background of how you ended up growing up in Nepal and then coming to the U.S. to uh, well get surgery? I, I know that part, but can you give us the story? Yes, so um, uh, my uh, book, Yak Girl, is about uh, my life growing up in the remote Dopo region of Nepal. It's um, in the border of Tibet at 13,000 feet. And my book covers sort of my um, early life, my memories from when I was age 5 to 10 years old. Um, as the oldest of 11 children, and um, and also uh, as a herder. So we lived at a, uh, Dobo is considered one of the most remote places in the world and had no running water, electricity, phones, school. Um, at the time, you know, we didn't have doctors. So, and, um, you know, that was 24 years ago and we were pretty much very isolated from the rest of the world. And um, in order to survive, we had to make everything. Um, and, uh, you know, children started working at, you know, early as age five. And I had to help take care of my, all of my younger siblings. And fortunately, only um, six of us survived and we lost five uh, due to not having um, any medical uh, facilities available. And my other job, I was a herder, so I had to take, uh, take care of the, you know, goats, sheep, yaks, and horses to mountains as high as 18,000 feet for grazing. And I had to make sure that the wolves and the snow leopards didn't, you know, kill one of my animals. Um, How does a five-year-old beat off a snow leopard? Well, I started out with, you know, uh, the snow leopard, I, I didn't see until I was about age um, six or seven. Um, but I, I, the first one was the wolf. So I just basically, you know, we, I had to throw rocks and make noises. And that's how I pretty much uh, scare them away. Um, but one of my first uh, sort of um, encounter with a snow leopard was when I was about seven years old, and this almost 200-pound snow leopard came and killed um, three of my goats, and then ran off with one, and then I had to run after the snow leopard to get the dead goat back. And I would say at the time, I wasn't really thinking about my own safety because I was when I when I went after the snow leopard I got stuck into this really tight um ravine or 
a valley and you know and then i realized i didn't have any way to escape back i and and i was with the in this tight space with the giant snow leopard and a dead goat in the middle and at that time i thought oh my gosh that snow leopard's gonna just eat me because it's right next to me but unfortunately and and i'm so blessed till this day the snow leopard did not eat me and i think uh one of the uh, it was it was really hard to survive especially in the winter because we were limited with food um definitely with the health not having medical clinic was huge problem we lost so many you know my own in my own family i lost you know five of my siblings and then grandparents and and many other relatives especially in the winter um and many of the um the illnesses is if you're in the west they were they were treatable you know they're colds but we didn't have any other than um you know the local herbs but if anyone had any major you know medical ish problem like fall or anything it just we were pretty much left hopeless and um we just pray and that's all we did so i think that was really difficult but i also really uh we enjoyed the beauty of living up in you know you know be pretty much completely out in the nature you know and it was so peaceful like especially in the summer the sky you know the sky was crystal clear i'm surrounded by a vast mountain and and you know i i'm always i mean i started out working with uh, taking care of the animals so i also started uh really understand um about animals and they were they were also my companions and my friends and so i start to understand how animals behave and even if the wolves and the snow leopards were coming after my herd of goats and sheep, I also felt this sort of sympathy toward them because they all, you know, they have to eat and I totally understand, <laughs> but, uh, and I don't know, it's just, I, I really have a great appreciation to, to have that, uh, chance to be in the, in the nature and, and I, and I, and I have uh, also the animals were really important, you know, part of my life. So I think that was, you know, that was sort of the struggle. There's like the, the beauty and peace and all that. And then um, when I was in Dopo, we didn't have school. Nowadays, there are schools and villages. Um, and but back then, you know, children, uh, especially girls, when they reach age, 13 um they uh were preparing to get ready to get married and it was very like you pretty much i mean once you reach five you're pretty much adult you know and also the life expectancy was very low as most um most people would die in, in, when they're in their 40s and um so you were considered an adult at five years old i mean if i look uh, if I look back, I, I, okay, I had to get up early, do the, you know, get the fire going because we didn't have stoves. And then, by the way, we didn't have enough, we don't have wood, it's isolated. So then I had to go look for sticks or we, I had to collect the animal dungs from cows and yaks and we use those for as a fuel. Um, right. And so, you know, I had to get the fire going. And then I took all day, I was out in the mountain taking care of the, um, our animals. And then if I wasn't doing that, I was taking care of my younger siblings or helping with my grandparents. So I, there was never like a weekend <laughs> and, and it right. was, it was normal. It's like, it, it, that was, it was, uh, we all had to work. Every member in the family had to uh, worked in order to survive and I think that was also what kept us strong you know family uh, the community and the family being together working together was sort of what kept us alive <laughs> mm -hmm. um, especially when 
Um, there's some some years that it's really difficult uh, where, uh, you know, one year I, um, you know, I lost my sister, my aunt, and then my grandmother, and it was just it was really tough, and and I didn't know I felt so hopeless, you know, because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't save them. We couldn't. I couldn't save mm-hmm. them, and um, some, you know, they were all, you know, I was a bit attached to them and so I think also for me being out in the going being out in the mountain and being with the animals was actually a little bit of escape from the human reality (laughs) Uh, so I one of those hard years I often just stay outside as much as I could but then eventually it's interesting I was just saying it's interesting that you say that because Anna and I have discussed this with a couple other friends who did the same thing. We both had our own childhood trauma and definitely different from yours, but it was that communing with nature that made us whole, that made us happier in spite of the situations that we faced. And it's interesting that you're sharing the same thing. Yeah. I think they do. I mean, that's something I try to um, sort of um, give when I'm uh, at the moment when I'm doing my book tours and uh, when I go to schools and I talk about how nature, I mean, that's, um, if you think about it, all of our ancestors, that's how we kind of grew up. You know, we mm-hmm. every, we're with a farm and everybody's out in farming, making everything. And nowadays we're more... Um, sort of in a modern uh, world where we're more distant from that. But I, I also think it's important to reconnect to nature as a, for me, um, I look at, it's like another therapy. <laughs> um, and so I try to, when I go to, you know, schools and I just try to tell students, you know, it's, it's good to go for a walk and just get that fresh air. It's very healing process, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break here. Okay. We'll, we'll play some music, but when we come back, we have some more qu- questions that we'd like to ask if that's okay. Okay. No. Okay. So we're talking to Dorji Dolma. Mm-hmm. And where do you live right now, Dorji? I currently live in U.S. in Colorado, Boulder, okay. Colorado. It's just okay. It's actually, I really like it. Oh, uh, uh, it's kind of similar to Dopo a little bit. We have the mountains, and there's certain, some of the mountains have the characteristics of uh, the mountains in, in Dopo. And I talk about this one. It's a one mountain in my book. It's called Shay in the so in the summer I was going to I was I stay with my aunts and we stay as a sort of a nomad and we stay in tents and then we travel with our animals to different pasture pastures mm-hmm. and and Shay is also a very it's one of the most holiest place in Dobo and the Shea Crystal Mountain. So lots of uh, when uh Tourists go up there. Many people go to Shea Crystal Mountain, uh, where they mm-hmm. walk walk around the uh, mountain, um, which takes a day. But I was in the in the summer. We stay the whole time there. So, and it's one of the most beautiful places um, in my uh, for me. It's one of my. It's like the most beautiful place, and uh, and so in Boulder we have the the flat irons sort of reminds me of Shay a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how I. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've got a pretty good idea of the tune that I'm going to play. So we're just going to cut away to that and then we'll be right back. So you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio and on the World Wide Web. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And we are talking to Dorchi Dolma, 
who is currently living in Colorado, but is originally from the Dolpo region of Nepal. So Dorji, how did you get from Nepal to Colorado? Uh, so, well, when, um, so, uh, when I was in around 1994, uh, my, my family in Dolpo, uh, my parents and siblings, uh, we walked, uh, we took a month long trek from Dolpo to Kathmandu because I had a very ser- serious, um, scoliosis where my back was, uh, curved to like 115 degrees. But back then we didn't know about scoliosis, but my parents knew that uh, I needed to get help right away because we have seen other children with a similar condition as me and when they died, um, they didn't live long because with scoliosis, it, uh, for some people, the, the spine keeps uh, bending and then eventually it crushes the lung and I was already struggling to breathe and my parents were uh, concerned because we already lost five of our kids and so, um, and there's, of course, we didn't have um, doctors to fix uh, my back. So we hoped that maybe in the, in the city, we would find the doctors, somebody to help. So we made this uh, pretty much risk our lives because it's also, uh, there's no roads and we, uh, the, the trails are dangerous. And so it's, but we had to sort of, uh, take the risk risk and then we walked and when we got to Kathmandu the doctors looked at my back and said sorry we can't fix you it's you'll have to go to America and I have no idea where America was (laughs) and so then that meant I had to go back to Dopo and which meant I wouldn't live long so eventually um we came across this organization called Rokpa, and which has been helping, um, especially children um, in Nepal, South Africa, and in Tibet. But they had this soup kitchen in, in Kathmandu. I don't know if people have been to Nepal. They might have seen the, the, the big stupa, the stupa. It was really near there because that's where we were staying. And they were providing two free meals um, for you know, poor people, poor people. And because when we got to the city, we didn't have money. So we, my family and I had to beg in the street in order to survive. And so we were really thankful to Rokwa for the free meal. But we also learned that they had, they were uh, putting children in school and helping them with medical needs. So eventually I, um, Asked, went to Ropa and asked if they would take, you know, they would put me to school. And at that Ropa uh, soup kitchen, uh, my current um, American family, parents, they were volunteering there. And as my uh, parents were telling about my story to Ropa and asking, please help save my our daughter, uh, my American parents were you know, they got inspired by my story. And eventually my mom, um, my Colorado mom, Jennifer, she brought x-rays to um, U.S. and, you know, showed to doctors and asked hospitals and doctors, please help save this child. So eventually, and, and um, I was able to come to U.S. in 95 and uh, I had uh, four major surgeries to fix my back. And the doctor said, wow, good thing you came on time because if you stay two more years in Nepal, you wouldn't have survived because you were already having trouble breathing and or, you know, it will be too late to do um, surgery. So so, that's so how do they treat the condition? Um, lots, <laughs> pretty much. Um, my whole body was completely rearranged. Um, I was, I had to, uh, I had another surgery on top of 
my scoliosis. So that was an additional um, thing. But they added, I mean, the doctors pretty much, uh, you know, where they make the main my back spine salad, like fused together. And um, mm-hmm. and then they had to, I had to, they put metals to keep it straight. And, and then I had to wear um, brace for six months. And so pretty much now my whole spine is just a solid bone. So I can't be doing um, gymnastic. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that, that stopped it from keep, uh, bending. And um, because that's what was happening. It was just, uh, my back was just um, turning into more of a C shape. <laughs> And um, so, and at each surgery, uh, uh, they were like 12 hours and some of them they had to stop and then do it again because I was bleeding too much. So, but it took a whole, um, I, I was just really blessed with um, amazing, incredible doctors. I mean, they, it was a, it was a huge challenge for the doctors too, because they're, they've never seen, um, a condition that was that as that was bad because I think people um, in here I they do uh, many uh, do have scoliosis um, and some are just sort of born with it and they're able right. to sort of treat right away like you know by brace or do early surgery mine was just since we didn't have the you know we didn't have any medical uh, care up there so mine was just gotten too too far you know and mm-hmm. and the doctor just said some it, it just have to say we can't it's too late because it's too risky to do the surgery so i just came right on right on sort of time but they were able to um and not only stop stopped it from getting my back you know curving uh but it uh they were able to straighten it quite a bit so like now it looks more like a s and c so um mm-hmm. but um yeah I'm, I'm just really um thankful and blessed that they, they were able to do that and um right after uh, me my um family in boulder we started a non-profit and uh we uh, we help bring four other uh, four other kids that had the same condition as me, and some from India, some from Tibet, and um, we did. And they also had the, and like some of them even were worse than me, and and the doctors were able to fix them. But then you know it, you know it's really hard to bring each child <laughs> and do the surgery. So eventually we um, supported. Uh, a hospital in Nepal that, and then so they can train the doctors mm-hmm. and nurses to do the surgery there. So, and that was mm-hmm. uh, uh, one way to sort of change, help change that. And um, so, so do they know the cause? Is it a dietary thing? Is it? And actually, uh, I'm trying to research that. I mean, I don't. It's hard to know. Like some. It could be sort of genetic thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't because uh, so I don't really know the whole the reasons why it had it. And I have I I kind of heard it in in somewhere in the back when I was little. Something about my father's uh, grandmother having some problem with her back. So right. So I don't know it. There's like a genetic thing too, and um, and but I think I've I have met you know I so I've been doing book tours since um, January of 2018, and I've actually met both children and adults with scoliosis, and some of them mm-hmm. are they're asking me like what do you, you know. <laughs> Some of them asked me. I was like, oh, I think best to check with your doctor, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, some of them debating whether to do the surgery and others are sort of um, 
and yeah, I don't really know what's the actual the cause, you know. So right, and it, I didn't even know I had scoliosis uh, until way late later. It was a uh, somebody in my <coughs> village noticed something was wrong with my back. I mean, I felt the pain and um, this discomfort, but I didn't really complain because, like, you know, we're losing. You know, I was like, um, my sisters were dying, and so, and I was working all the time, and I was wearing because it's so cold in the winter, especially. We were wearing really thick uh, dresses that are made from wool or animal skin, so people didn't really snow see. leopard uh, suits. I hope. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, uh, just, okay, just like uh, sheepskin, or um, but yeah, just. Uh, but uh, right. so it was thick, so I think I people didn't really see that there was something was wrong. But I, you know, I felt the pain way way mm-hmm. early. I just didn't know what it was. How, how many people in the community? I know how many people were in your family, but how many people in the village? Was it a village? Was it a, a hamlet? A town? So yeah, Dopa. So Dopa you know is saying? actually. So if you Dopa is actually one of the most. Uh, it's it, one of the uh, largest districts in Nepal, and I think there are currently about seventy six districts. And right. um, and we there's an upper and lower region, and I'm from the upper region. And in the upper region, I think they're all just a collection of villages. So they're about. I think there's like but more than thirty villages right now, and mm-hmm. um, in you know, some villages there will be like twenty people, some hundred. Um, but and and so in my village is uh, the name of my village is called Kara, and um, and that was a little bit larger village um, at the time when I was there. Uh, maybe a couple hundred people were there, and there was okay. also scatter around um, and then uh, but I also worked in um, I I worked uh, with my grandparents village so it's, it's called Saldang and then Namdo and so I I had to go to a different village uh, for different seasons you know um, mm-hmm. Saldang in the winter and Garang um, sort of back and forth and Shea in the summer so um, so each village, Saldam is currently considered a lot that it's more the uh, larger village that have the most people, um, and mm-hmm. where uh, there all the most of the politics kind of happen. So, um, and so that's so yeah, it's just it's just a bunch of different villages. Okay. So I think we're going to take another break, but when we come back, I want to ask you some pointed questions about the differences between where you grew up and where you are right now and what, I guess, you know, the silver lining in all of what happened for you. So when we come back with Dorji Dolma, we'll dig into this even further. You're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. So hang on. Okay, so you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And we're interviewing Dorji Dolma. And as I said in the break or before the break, I wanted to ask Dorji a couple questions. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, are you thankful for the health condition that actually resulted in you coming to North America? Because you probably wouldn't have come if, if you didn't have the scoliosis, correct? Well, I'm thankful I'm alive uh, mm-hmm. because... You know, uh, in 1995, I was like looking at what, um, debating whether will I be cremated or will I be uh, buried? 
that was my options right. um, because that was uh, when we came to Kathmandu because I thought well, when we came to the city, well, uh, somebody would help with that, but that doctor said no. And so, um, and now that I'm here and I'm alive, um, I'm, I, every day, even if it's not a really good day, I'm very thankful to be alive. And, and I think that's sort of the reason I, um, wanted, I, the reason I wrote the book was to, um, so many people have helped me, you know, mm -hmm. people from all, I mean, complete strangers. I mean, you know, if you look at, um, my, uh, my adopted family, I mean, they, they didn't have to, they didn't have to take an action, mm -hmm. but they did. And the people at the Ropa, um, and so, and all the doctors, I mean, every, every, it I mean, I feel, I mean, it took uh, lots of villages to get me to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm every day, I'm just so grateful to be alive. And, and now I wanted to do that same with others. And I think that mm -hmm. was, I felt one of the, like, I think a part of the reason that I, because, um, when I finally decided that, okay, I'm going to go to ask Ropa to help me. I also had to give up my parents, my family. Yeah. I had to say goodbye and didn't know how long that's going to be. And I didn't see them in like five years. And, um, but I also had to make that decision. Like I just, not only save myself, but save my family. And then I also hope that I can eventually help people in Dolpo because this, this trend, you know, this, this the health issues just continuing, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, back in when I was in Dolpo, I didn't know there was such thing as hospitals or, you know, there were medicines available. Right. I just thought this is how things were. But now I know, and and then to not to do anything about it, um, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel right. And I've, you know, I've helped with my own family, and um, so I think just uh, I just wanted to write my book to sort of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tell stories inspired others mm -hmm. and also well i think i can i can figure out why people were so willing to help you i've never met you before but just the sound of your voice you sound like a real sweetie and so yeah and so people are willing to help those that are warm and and fuzzy and all of that right i mean if you were really demanding and being just a general pain in the butt, they probably would be less inclined to help. So your attitude, I think, has contributed to this. Oh, thank you. Um, I, 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 I think uh, I would say also I'm persistent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I would. I because I was really in a sort of a survival mode, mm -hmm. and when I got to the city. And in some sense, um, I kind of saw my future ahead of, I don't know, it sounds, um, I kind of saw, even though people were telling me, oh, you're going to die young. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, I know. Um, but it, I just thought, uh, even when I was in Dobo, I just knew eventually towards the end, I just didn't feel like this isn't me anymore. There must be something else for me. And then when I got to Kathmandu, the same thing, you know, the doctor, when the, when I was running out of options, I just felt like, well, there's, I think there's an option. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, uh, so I think that I, I would say I've been persistent and, um, to, you know, like when I, yeah, you know, I just go for that, mm -hmm. um, like, really want something I just I don't like to give up <laughs> and um and and you know this it's sort of the same thing um same with the book you know it was really actually quite terrifying to uh write the book because uh um, and then to promote it as well trying to learn English yeah yeah, yeah I mean I was learning and, and I 
I, I was, you know, I come, I'm coming from a, a society where, you know, there's no woman, female writers mm-hmm. and, uh, book, you know, and then, um, it was just very daunting, but, um, I had a, a grandmother who was my English teacher when I first came mm-hmm. here and she, she was really, she definitely encouraged me to write and told me like, don't worry about the grammar and, um, just, you know, you have a really inspiring story you should mm-hmm. write, write. Um, and so that's definitely sort of what kind of got me going. So what's it like to go on a public speaking tour promoting the book? Do you find it hard to talk to groups of people or is it kind of natural for you? Um, it's the first, I was nervous for the, the first talk, you know, I have no idea, mm-hmm. of, you know, I bet I've done some public speaking before, um, for other, you know, for raising funds for Nepal or other, mm-hmm. um, nonprofits. So it's not totally new. Um, but you know, that once I did my first one and it became natural to me, and it was, um, uh, I would say, I, the story, I love uh, telling stories. And in fact, um, storytelling is sort of very important part of our culture. I grew up with, because we didn't have TV or so. Um, and <clears throat> in fact, one of my grandmothers uh, in Doho, she would always ask the guests, please tell a story. And so she would definitely uh, also encourage me about the book because she used to love, uh, you know, listening to stories. Mm-hmm. And, and in the night, we all like, sit around the fire, drink our barley soup, and everybody tells stories. And some stories have songs. And it just, it has a very, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And, and also, you know, storytelling, storytelling is where you know you learn about history about Uh people culture and also can change people's lives so i think that's i really like doing the um storytelling and um you know and once i get in front of the audience i really like actually that to be in that intimate space and and really connect Uh and i think that's something that i um I really enjoy doing because um, I think we're, right now we're in a social media world, which I really like. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is this sort of disconnect, you know, yeah. to to meet people and really um, and just like meet people and and you know, brainstorm ideas and how we can improve the you know education, the environment, and share stories mm-hmm. and i think um when i'm telling my story it's in some for some people it feels like i'm telling their story so some people will be crying uh, especially you know you know if i was telling a story about my loss of my siblings or grandparents um you know everybody can relate doesn't mm-hmm. matter where you live in the world and mm-hmm. and to sit and and also the other beautiful thing is that People, I mean, I'm. I come to the event and you know talk about Doho and my wife, but it's also where people come together and um, and they, they bring friends and they meet people, you know, family members they haven't seen for so long. Because I think my stories also uh, talks about the importance of you know connection, the relationship to family mm-hmm. and the sort of togetherness, but. So yeah, I, I, so I've done over, let's see, more than 70 talks in 2018. 70? And I started out with. Wow. Yeah, I started out with senior centers and then, and then books, all the bookstores I've done tours in all over U.S. And then I went back to Nepal. I did talks uh, uh, for schools and then the whole global community. Mm-hmm. And and then I I came, recently came back from Europe and uh, did uh, talks at <clears throat> with the Switzerland and Holland 
And now I do more of, uh, I go do presentations to um, schools. Mm -hmm. So in fact, that's what I'm doing, doing my tour in uh, Canada. And it's a combination of libraries, um, uh, elementary schools, and uh, college. Mm -hmm. And so it, I just, it, I, and I also, with my presentation, I, um, share my uh, share my stories um using photos i do powerpoint presentation mm -hmm. so I, I um so i think that's another um way for people to um really see it because i think it's hard for sometimes people don't know where mm -hmm. nepal is so it's a it's to have the visual is also helpful but i um so i just it i i like I recently did a, a school presentation and I had 300 kids and they were, um, you know, they were from kindergarten to um, fifth grade. And I was shocked that they just sat through 50 minutes of me talking, but they just were listening to every word I was saying. And, and one of the things that I tried, I, you know, I talk about is like, uh, how you know the the they love the animal stories and um, they like the stories. I also um, try to um, you know let teach them about how we can be kind to each other mm -hmm. and kind to our in our environment. And good thing you're living in the states right now because they've got some lessons to learn in that department. Yeah. Have you thought of running for president of the United States? I think not. I don't think I have the that kind of role. I I I like to. I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you probably don't have orange hair either. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I don't think I have the. But you know, I. Um, I I think it's you know it's what it's just to I've. If I'm able to use my, I think I, my book is sort of like a recipe, you know, and yeah. it has all these stories, but it has so many potentials and, and I can bring the stories alive in my talks. And I think that's, what's really powerful. And, you know, last, uh, <clears throat> I mean, my last school talk, kids were, um, they, they, they just, they knew, they t told me all about the snow leopards and wolves that they, they knew about. And, and I think that's another uh, element is like, um, some people have asked me like, well, how do you scare the wolves and snow leopards away? Did you have a gun? And I was like, we didn't use gun, you know, because uh, I mean, we understand that they need to eat. And um, so I think we also, in our culture, we have a respect for um, the animal too. So mm -hmm. we only kill them because we, we needed the meat. Um, and with the snow leopards and wolves, that we only, uh, it was like if one is being really, really difficult, but mm -hmm. most often we left them alone. And that thing also because a lot of these um, uh, sort of wild animals, they're going, ex you know, extinct. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to understand that they, you know, they've replaced in the, yeah. um, in the world too. Well, I think you'll discover when you come to the Kootenai region that many people will be on the same page. It's a very gentle place and the people in general here are lovers of the earth and i think you'll enjoy the experience yeah i'm, a, I'm very excited to i'm no, yeah i'm really looking forward to cool uh, being that's great. I I just had uh, one last question. I was curious about your family now in Dolpo. Are all of the, your other siblings still living in the Dolpo region? I uh, just one of my sisters and um she lives in in the village um, with her with her children and family. 
and then but my other ones um they're they're in school and um two of them are in holland right now and in fact that's uh so we're doing uh the on february february 4th we are doing the only sun movie showing at the civic center um, civic theater, theater yeah and that movie the only sun is actually it's a really um beautiful documentary film made by uh a dutch filmmaker and this is um it's it's the, the film is mostly set around my brother pema and sort of the struggle of uh, the tradition the ancient way of living versus modern and um because my you know my most of my younger siblings uh they grew up in the city and my brother grew up in the city and but my parents are still they want to carry on the tradition you know the way of living uh where the son you know carries the land and marries the local girl but my brother you know he has other plans <laughs> he wants to have the to live the modern way mm -hmm. but at the same time you know we we stick together as a family even our differences so i think that film also gives um really good um it, well first of all it takes it's all shot in dopo and especially in my village Karang, and and also just has more of a <clears throat> uh, update of where my parent, family are right now and um and it's it's been the, having the book and the movie has been a really a, a really useful thing and uh, it's been an educational resource for uh to have for Dobo and to to have the, the visual thing and then the text and and so i've been actually showing the movie on my tour and uh last march when i went to nepal i showed the movie uh in nepal for <clears throat> especially for the Dobo community so many were crying because they could really relate and that was the same thing that were happening in my book talks many were people were crying because they said um thank you for telling my story i've lost you know this many family members i've had to struggle i to get my children in school so it was it was a very was very different than you know my tour in the west but uh so the, the film definitely shows, um, gives you a little more of an update of where um, everybody is. So you don't have any um, plans to return to live in Dolpo? You're going to remain living in the U.S.? Well, actually, um, I don't, I mean, I don't, I currently don't have plans to live, but I would, my, actually, one of my goals in writing this book was to want to help inspire others and yeah you know learning my book and to educate people about dopo but others i was hoping i hope to bring more resource to dopo even though <clears throat> yeah i mean so i was there you know 20 25 years ago and but now there are schools uh and um you know basic uh like there's some solar energy, so basic modern facilities. But it, in some sense, it's still nothing. There's a lot of things that is not has not changed. For example, the health issue is still a major problem. Mm -hmm. And um, so <clears throat> we still people are still having to um, uh, walk ten days to get to the nearest airport and to. Uh, get to the help to a hospital. So, um, you know, my family and I walked you know, for a month uh, coming from Dopo to Kathmandu, but now there are, you know, airports that are closer to Dopo, but people still have to trek up, you know, 10 days. And um, when you live in a place where uh, there's no hospital and then somebody, for example, there was a boy who fell down and, you know, broke his arm. But they could, you know, they the family didn't have money for a helicopter, so they they had to uh, 
tracked down to the nearest airport for 10 days and then wait for an airplane. And then by the time he got to this uh, city, the hospital, it was too late. They had to amputate his arm. And so that's the, pro that's, that's, that is the, um, their health is still an uh, issue right now. And, um, and so I think that's what I wanted to do is I went to, I'm currently, you know, donating portion of my book and I'm also an artist. So, um, uh, book and art sales to, non um, uh, nonprofit projects that are helping in the, um, in the local area, like the altitude, like altitude project and, um, with education and medical needs. And so I, I want to, you know, for me, I feel like I'm having the book has made me even more connected to, you know, my, my culture and, and, and more reasons that I want to go uh, there and help. And, um, and we know I have, you know, my, well, our family, we have land and home there. So maybe we can utilize that as part of for education or medical um, resource. That's, that's really lovely, Dorji. I just wanted to let our listeners know your art is beautiful. And you can check out Dorji's art at dorjiarts.com. That's D-O-R-J-E-A-R-T-S dot com. And Dorji will be in the Thank Kootenai you. region uh, January 30th at the Rosslyn Library from 7 to 8.30. January 31st at the Mir Peace Centre from 11 a.m. till 1. And at the Nelson Municipal Library on January 31st from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And then she'll be back at the Civic Theater on February 4th for the filming of their, or from, for the airing of the, the show, The Only Son, which is about Dorji's family and her brother. And that's from 7 to 9 p.m. on February 4th. So, and that will be with David Swain of the Altitude Project, right? I, I just wanted to first, Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say um, I thank you both. But I I wanted to, I'm so grateful. Um, at the I met David through the, my book, and the book has been a, such a actually taking me in its own journey. Uh, right now, a lot of trekkers are reading it, and they've been writing me all these amazing letters. Um, and I David contacted me because he read my book, and and. For a while, I was thinking of starting my own nonprofit, but to create your own nonprofit is a huge task. And mm -hmm. so I didn't know about the, there are organizations that are already helping Dobo. So one of them was, um, uh, Altitude Project. And I was just, I'm just amazed and like how much they were already, they were helping, um, when the school in my village, Sadam is one of them, and in Saldam, that these are all the villages that I've, you know, where I partly grew up, and and so I just I'm um, so I'm really thankful that um, they they, I mean, this tour is happened because of David. He, I mean, he put this whole together, and I'm very grateful for Altitude Project for. Um, sponsoring and inviting me um, to Canada, and I'm really looking forward to uh, do the tour with him and 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 you know brainstorm ideas of how we can help Dobo. I mean, there were, um, I think without uh, altitude support, and many of the schools in Dobo wouldn't be running mm -hmm. because we're dependent on sponsors. And um, so, and it's such a, like, for me and my family, that was another survival thing is like, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have a lot of things, but we knew that um, uh, education is going to, what's going to save us. And that was another reason after me, I, I tr helped try to get all my siblings to go to school. And now they're, you know, my brother just got his master's degrees and he's gone back to Dopo and, 
and my sister is also, you know, she helped build a, a greenhouse in my village. And so it's just a beautiful thing that when you educate a child, you're not only educating them for their future, but their family and their community. And I think that is what Altitude Project's doing is like that providing education for these uh, kids is it's, they have a, a long-term um, value, you know, I think of as investment, um, but they, now they can go, the, the students can become doctors or nurses or, you know, create jobs, you know, and I think that's, um, that, that's what's, I know that is something that's important to me and I, to, to see that there are other people are uh, doing that is, um, it's really touching. It sounds like you started a beautiful wave of positivity in your village. Oh, thank you. Well, I do, I, I have not been back. I've been back to Kathmandu, but I have not been back to Dopo since 94. And one of my goals and wishes that I wanted to go to Dopo next summer, if possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so and and I wanted to also see the schools and see you know what how I can be most helpful <laughs> and um and so that's sort of my next wishing goal is to go back and visit local. I don't imagine it's very easy to walk ten days with a fused spine, yeah, and then uh especially my parents are might be coming with me and my father. Uh, he currently that my both of my parents are in Kathmandu, and but my father has COPD, which is actually another common health problem in Dopo. A lot of um pe people die from that condition. It's because of uh, not from them smoking. It's because we grew up. Um, we cooked. Uh, we cooked. We had a fire in the house, and um, we and then all the smoke in the room probably what's caused for him to have the COPD. Right. So uh, COPD, tuberculosis, or that's one of some of the major lost <laughs> uh, in my family. So that's what my father has. So I'm a little bit, I'm well, a little bit more than concerned about him going back because he'll need oxygen. And, um, and uh, so... But he has been the main uh, local uh, Tibetan doctor for more than 20 years in, in Bada. And um, so I think he also wants to, you know, see what's happening there. So we've been talking to Dorji Dolma, and she's coming to Nelson, well, the whole area at the end of the month. Do you want to say what the dates are again? Well, she'll be in Rosslyn January 30th and Castlegar on the 31st and Nelson on the 31st and then back in Nelson to the Civic Theater on February 4th. And uh, you can check out the Altitude Project at altitudeproject.ca or you can check out Dorji's website at dorgiarts.com. That's D-O-R-J-E arts.com. And she has a list of her events on her website as well as at the Altitude Project. And it's definitely a good idea to check out her website just because of the art. So definitely check it out on the World Wide Web. So anyway, this brings us to the end of the show. You've been listening to Shift Happens with Jeff and Anna. And we'll see you next week. Enjoy. <laughs> You've been tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio, 93.5 FM in Nelson. If you'd like to hear a re-air of the show, you can always listen on Sundays from 11 till 1. And if you'd like to check out past episodes, we podcast on shifthappens.media. So we're going to end off the show playing some more Brian Adams. It was a Brian Adams day today. We're going to play... A little love. And then that will end it for this week. And we'll see you next week.
Shift Happens with Jeff and Anna. Have a good one. Bye for now.